there's a whole population of dealers who are taking advantage of this calm before the storm and this financial war chest that they've got <laughs> to try and figure out how do we address the needs of the next type of consumer, which is coming when mm -hmm. things change. And we don't know what that change is going to look like exactly, but there's a lot of there's a lot of great data on what it's probably going to look like. So building for what our future consumers are looking for right now is the time to do that. If you do it after the fact and you're playing catch up with the guys who invested in their future early, they're going to clean your clock. Welcome to the Strategy with Jason podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, we are in beautiful Napa Valley, California, at the amazing DMSC event, hosted by the one and only Glenn and Brian Pash. Today, I have an amazing group of guys with me that I can guarantee you there's going to be just a bucket of laughters. I got Gino, Michael, and Rusty. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to come jam with me. I really appreciate it. Pleasure's Not a problem ours. at all. Absolutely. Pleasure's ours. Hey, guys, we're going to get into some really cool conversation today. Before we do that, I love kicking off these podcasts with the little origin stories. Hey, because I'm always fascinated to find out how people got into the island of misfit toys that we call the automotive industry. So, Gino, I'll start off with you. Tell, me, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the automotive industry. Yeah, so Gino Walsh, Cavalli Auto Group. Uh, I started back in the beautiful year of 2001, uh, right after <laughs> September 11th, actually. Um, it was definitely a happy accident. Most mm -hmm. of us get in here from happy accidents. And uh, I was a bartender. I was uh, working for the United Way as an account executive, and I was f coaching football. And I was taking a year off fr from law school, right? So I was like, well, how do I get lower than a lawyer? Let me get into the car <laughs> business. But honestly, I was coaching uh, one of the, uh, the kids that I was coaching. His dad was you know, just chatting me up and he's like, well, what do you do? And I told him I do those three different things and none of them made a lot of money. I think I was making $8 and 50 cents an hour at United Way. And he's like, well, here's my card. Come see me. And it was a business card for a bank. Right. Okay. Right. And I was like, okay, cool. And I showed it to the wife and I was doing interviews because I was taking a year off anyways. And my wife's like, you need to go see that bank guy. So I went and met him at his bank. The name of the company was Southern Auto Finance Company. And he proceeded to walk me across the street to this huge lot with 300 plus cars that were all under $10,000. It was a captive finance company and they had a buy here, pay here. So I started in the primordial version of this business, which was buy here, pay here. We didn't have a new car franchise connected to us. We had to buy all our vehicles, whether we went to people's uh, new car franchises to buy the wholesale trades or go to the auction. And that's where I started. And what I learned real fast was that like, you know, I like to relish in the mundane and it was exciting for me to like get there at the auction at 530 and check cars out and evaluate them and then raise my hand and buy some of the cars and then go to the service department and sign off on reconditioning and then go to the sales department and do all the marketing and then go to the F&I department and, and make sure I get the deals funded because I like the, the chaos. It was the chaos. You fell in love was, with the chaos, I love the chaos, you know, and then, you know. Going from eight dollars and fifty cents an hour to like forty or fifty grand was amazing for me. Like I was like, "Oh my God, this is amazing!" I, I had a whole bunch it. of friends that were, you know, barely making it, and uh, and it wound up being just a passion for me awesome. to work with people. And you know, it was like a fix, like to help people buy cars or to like sell cars. It just became like this. I needed it, and you know, it translated 
you know, many years later and turned into, uh, I wanted to round myself off in the new car franchises. And, you know, I did a lot of, um, I looked at the window that there was an opportunity and it was in CRM, it was in digital marketing because nobody wanted to do it back when I was doing it, right? And I was like, let me just go here because everybody else is playing over here. No one's playing in this lane and let me just run after it. And uh, I got with, in. Yeah, sucked in, and man. I got with Cavalli about 12 years ago and, <laughs> and uh, it'll, it'll be 12 years in September. It gets in your blood. You can't get and, it out. And, and it's been great, man. I've been so many places with the automotive industry and I love it. And uh, I get to meet some amazing people. Not you guys withstanding, but <laughs> right, right. of course not. But but, it, course. but it's been great. It's been great. It's awesome. He was talking about you, Mike. Right, right, right. Exactly. We want to make sure all clear. So, hey, Michael, for yourself, how did you get into this island of misfit toys? So, I, I think my happy accident occurred with my parents because I was yeah. born into the business. Oh, oh PhD. Born. So, yeah, oh, PhD. I'm a, yes. I'm a PhD. So my father worked for <laughs> Ford, and he got his first franchise in 1969. Wow. Nice. So I was that year I was born. Nice. Rusty, I know I have a few, you know, give a few years on me. <laughs> Just let's, uh... Anyway, so I grew up in the car, just grew up in the business, did everything that you could possibly do in the stores growing up. But family of seven, and I'm fifth out of seven. So <laughs> went a little bit of a different route, went to school for accounting, software. In 94, 1994, my father handed me a book by Carl Sewell called Customers for Life. Mm. I just got out of college. Still I was classic. working at Pricewaterhouse. Yep. Can you... Can you do something for me? Because we were a UCS customer at the time. Long story short, I wrote a couple things for the dealership. Uh, couldn't get it integrated at all. <laughs> it was like, it was like <laughs> this is this is really this is the technology we're using. And uh, so I started consulting a company called Dealer Solutions in '97. So I've been basically most of my life. Is that Mike Castleman? Mike Castleman. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Castleman. <laughs> I'm still great friends with Mike Saylor. Yeah. Um, uh, the whole crew, John Oates. That whole crew, Dave Mosley. Anyway, so we were the third dealership in the country on that software, and it just flat out didn't work. And I called <laughs> Mike and I said, Mike, you know, work. you know, that cast and I called Sailor and said, Mike, it's great, you know, it just doesn't work. So I ended up. No spending, way, technology not working. Right, right. So I spent <laughs> two happens. years consulting them. Met some great people on the way, the folks at Galpin, the folks at Performance, Vans, Honda few of our customers today. So I consulted them and then CDK bought them out and spent about four years consulting, well, it was ADP at the time, on what a next generation solution may look like. We'll leave that story for another <laughs> that's time. A, that's a good one. <laughs> and uh, try to get out of the business for a couple years. Don't we um, all? Never two, happens. Two and a half years, I was the CIO of a consumer finance company and then I met John Hosmer, who had this little uh, DMS in Mason City, Iowa little town of 29,000. I studied it for four or five months and said, John, I think, I think this is something that we can take to market that dealers want. As at the time, it was just, you know, hey, look, I think there's an alternative that needs to be had. Um, it's not going to be, you know, maybe for everybody at the time, right? We're small. I called, I called Mike Saylor and I said, look, we're not going to go after you guys. We're just like this little ankle biter. Leave <laughs> us alone. And, uh, and that's how I that's got it. That's it, man. You're in. You're in. Well, you got born into this. Yeah, impressive. I'm born into it. Now, I heard, Rusty, you were hatched into the business. No, I'm just kidding, man. That's, <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's true. <laughs> he right. says PhD. PhD stands for Papa Had a Dealership. So if you weren't sure. I always know um, DPK. 
What's that? Dealer principal kid. Oh, dealer oh, principal yeah. kid, yeah. <laughs> My dad used to call them third base babies, which was he was born on third base. He was going around his whole life telling everybody he hit a triple. So that was a little <laughs> different, right? So, but, uh, wow, that's deep. Yeah, so <laughs> I was, uh, sorry, uh, I was hatched into it. My dad was in the automotive business long before I ever met my mom and uh, was literally the godfather of automotive leasing, modern mm -hmm. leasing, right? He wrote uh, Ford's RLP, they called it Retail Lease Plan, which is their red carpet lease today, that goofy formula that Ford uses. I remember those calculators. Oh, yeah. So that <laughs> was, was an that was, my dad doesn't have a degree in mathematics or didn't, <laughs> he's dead now. But, uh, but for sure, when you look at that formula, it's pretty clear that he wasn't a math guy. But um, <clears throat> so, uh, so I grew up in a leasing, um, mm -hmm. and uh, my dad had a big independent leasing company uh, in Atlanta when I was a kid. And when I graduated college, my penance for my college education was writing a software package for his leasing company. And uh, that turned into Lease Profit, which was the first product we had. And, and, uh, and then, of course, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. September 11th happened, leasing stops. We get into subprime and CRM and all this stuff, but kind of realized, you know what, we're a data company, right? And yes. A, and a calculation engine company. And, and uh, you know, zigged, zagged around a little bit. And then about 10 years ago, eight years ago, we were like, you know, this sucks, right? We got, we got the same 500 customers we've had for 15 years, right? We're not making any money. We're not losing any money, but I'm not getting paid and everybody else is. So we're like, maybe we should power some of our competitors. And, uh, and we did. We powered a couple CRM companies that had decent desking tools. And, and then we started powering some digital retailing. Digital retailing really got popular. And, yeah, it did. And, uh, yeah, so that was crazy, right? You know, we're sitting there thinking, okay, you know, I, it's poor all this work and all this tech into building an API wrap around everything that we do so our competitors can put us out of business, right? We can start powering it. It's a great model. It, yeah, it. it was a great model. It was brilliant, right? And everybody's scratching their head, what the hell is he thinking? <laughs> and, uh, and you know, we, we get a little bit of business. Um, uh, Phil Fuse with uh, DriveCentric and his yep. team are here. He was one of my very first customers. And I remember we were sitting down and he, he's like, you know, he says, if we pull this off, we might be paying you guys like a quarter of a million dollars a year. And I'm like, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> and I think wow. they paid us that last month, you know, and he even told me that. He said, I bought your dinner, you know, I'm like, yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but, you know, so digital retailing got real popular, right? And we went from having no dealers on our API, you know, to a couple hundred and about a six or seven year period to get to 3,000, which was we thought was great penetration. Wow. And then COVID hit and in a year's time, we are, we're at 9,000, right? Wow. Now we're a little, uh, almost 11,000 rooftops, and it keeps growing because we're powering everybody else, and everybody else is going and doing their thing. So that, it's been that, amazing. That is a hell of a ride. And, you know, a perfect segue actually kind of into <laughs> our first topic, Sorry. right? No worries. Um, hey, for the last 20... <laughs> that's the splash zone. That's the splash <laughs> told you this podcast guys was gonna be good um for the last 24 months we have fundamentally as an industry just had i think more change given to us or maybe imposed on us in the last 24 months and we probably have collectively for the previous decade which is great and, and, and i'm excited to that so let's uh, i'd love to kind of get you guys you okay i'm allergic to mike yeah um, so, <laughs> of course you are it's the orange it's working but it's the orange <laughs> <laughs> this is how this podcast is gonna go guys just so you know um but I'd love to kind of get, get your guys' perspective, you know, from people to process to technology, what have you observed to be the biggest fundamental change for yourself in the last 24 months? Do you know, I'll start with you and I'll work my way down to Rusty. I can tell you that after getting through the last 24 months, I think we can get through about just about anything. 
Hell yeah. yeah, the <laughs> adversity that we had to deal with at the beginning of the pandemic, obviously, was not like what we had ever seen before. You know, we were we had uh, dealerships in three different states, and one of them was in California, and we were in Florida, and you just couldn't even move to go see your stores. We had you know, eleven stores out here in California, and you had to do everything via Microsoft Teams, mm-hmm. right? And you had to only have the general manager at the store. And, well, water has to find its way, and we still need to put some money into the financial statement. And even though we were essential workers, which is an, an amazing, just so you know, folks at home, That's the automotive people are essential workers. And, <laughs> uh, but we had to, like, figure it out. Like, we couldn't just stay stuck, right? You know, we had to, like, figure it out. One of our uh, core tenants, one of our commitments at Cavalli Auto Group is to be productive. And so I've always had this knack that if I'm if I can feel wind at my face, I know I'm going in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, planes take off into the wind, too. Right. You know, so it's it's one of those things where I say this is going to be painful. But I think on the other end of it, we're going to be in a much better place. And, and because we went through that that time period and we're still going through it. Right. I have absolutely I have, I have my de- new car dealership that we purchased back in 2020 was supposed to be 100, 150 new cars a month. I have eight cars sitting on the lot. I got, I'm at 85%, you know, uh, inventory turn currently right now. And I'm going to sell out of cars. Yep. Uh, we've done, I've done that multiple times. <laughs> and, you know, that's a new adversity. 100%. But because of the adversity we went uh, through before, I, I, I don't fear anything anymore. Like, you know, it's <laughs> like literally, you know, it's usually, you know, fear is an acronym. F everything and run. And for that, me, that, that has probably for, been for, one of the for, biggest for me, changes. For me, it's face everything in retail. <laughs> face everything in retail. I love that. Hey, Michael, for yourself, what have you observed to be some of the biggest changes that we've gone through in the last 24 months? Well, you know, I've, I've said it before because it's kind of, you know, it's a cliche to say, hey, you know what? Times are changing faster than ever, right? <laughs> but that's just the reality of, you know, the world we're in. So, we get to see it from both sides, right? So as system providers, we're trying to navigate our own issues, right? You of know, software developers, where do you find them, right? You know, when COVID hit, you know, it was easy to shed maybe at the time because it was, it became feast of famine, but the BMS has to stay on. Yes. So, well, I can't adjust anything. <laughs> Lights got to be on. And, and not even that, I had to, you know, we had to do more work because the dealerships are, you know, ramping down staff, mm-hmm. doing more with less. Now they're asking some interesting questions. Well, you know, how does it? How can I market out of my DMS, right? And I'm like, okay, we've got to figure that out because they had all these other tools that they decided, you know, maybe maybe I got to do something differently. That's right. And as Gino said, we're we're still going through it. I mean, I've never seen, you know, because coming from both sides of the fence, there's regulatory, there's the EV market, there's Rusty. <laughs> so outside of Rusty, the EV market, there's the OEM. Mike, what do you think is going to be the ne- like? Think about this though. Like, what's going to happen the next? adversity that's going to hit which is everyone's going to have inventory again well, here, 100% and here, that's it we are we're going to save that because we're going to okay, go down good, that good, good. later so my <laughs> I'll end on this I think the next adversity is just to get back to normal like I don't think there's a new norm I don't know if I go for the whole hey this is the new norm it'll go back to normal and that's going to be an adjustment well, it, it's, it's just the current norm that's what it is it's right. just the current norm like our, our consumers have been demanding of us that we meet them where they want to be met and it was just it took a pandemic for us you know I think to fast track our our people our process and our technology to get to where they're at now we're there we're meeting them where they're at. we don't have a sales process anymore we have six different buying processes like how do you want to purchase something so no, i'm with you man 100 percent rusty for yourself 
Uh, it's been amazing and super strange, right? The, yeah. uh, uh, the market is as messed up as it's ever been. Uh, if you look at an educational example of the laws of the dynamics of supply and demand, right? When the pandemic first hit, there was a glut of inventory. Consumers weren't allowed to leave their homes. Dealers were flipping out. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Let's lay everybody off and blow everything out. Mm -hmm. Exact opposite now, right? Is we've all learned right. how to do stuff remote. There's no inventory. There's a huge demand. Dealers are printing money. They're making more money than they've ever made before. Some of them are doing really smart, good things about preparing for what's coming. And some of them are like, it's never going to end. This is fantastic. Um, <laughs> the It's never on end. This is fantastic. Got big teeth and it bites in the butt really hard when it 100%. happens. Right? So, so it's going to be very interesting. And I think, I think you're all... Right. I think that it's going to be very similar to the way it was a while back once mm -hmm. inventory normalizes. But we'll have a glut first. And when we have a glut, we're going to have a mess. Yes. Right? And, and I, that, I and think that. Milton Friedman figured it out. Huh? We should all read Milton Friedman. <laughs> okay. 100%. That's what we should do. There we go. We just ended the podcast. Yeah. Michael answered absolutely all of our questions. Drop the statement. <laughs> right. Boom. But no, guys, let's go down that rabbit hole because you're absolutely right. I mean, just the current state of our people, our process, and our technologies, what, uh, how the inventory shortage has affected that has created, and we talked about it, it, honestly, guys, it's created some laziness. There's laziness in our process. No way. Oh, I know, right? Big surprise. Yeah. You know, and I think that is the next adversity. So that's going to be my question for you guys. How, how, when inventory levels come back out, how do we ensure that we're still executing that customer experience, and does it change yeah, so process. what I can tell you is at one point we had 16 dealership, 11 dealerships in, in California. We just sold them. We did okay with it. Congrats. And we're recalibrating and we're, we're staying in the southeast. We're going to be in Florida primarily, right? And um, But we had a lot of different franchises. We had anywhere from Subaru all the way up to Pagani, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and. What, what I noticed as somebody who's in charge of operations, especially variable operations, is that like on the upper end where you made all the money, there's a lot of laziness. On the lower end where you weren't making any money and you're just blowing out of cars, it was a lot of laziness. Somewhere in between is the where the, was the sweet spot yep. where the work was. And there's been 24 months of like, I don't have to do follow-up. Nope. There's been 24 months of I don't have to, you know, actually push that hard because they have this mentality like if that guy doesn't want to buy it then the person right behind him is going to buy it and, it, and it's just as bad on the the negative side too so it's exactly. going to be it'll be very interesting but i think if if you're focused as a leader for your organization on activities as as opposed to results i think you're going to get through 100%. this you know you know it's activities and attitude those are the two things that you can control everything else is outside of your control, you just have to deal with it. And we have time to focus on that. That's that's what right. I think is amazing, right? Like, this is the time that we practice, all right? We hone in those skills, and when Gaiden Day comes, we gotta be ready for it. And I think there's some amazing proactive dealerships. You guys know some, I know some that are out there watching, listening right now, that are doing this. My concern is not the majority is. Michael, I'd love to kind of get your take on how do you think that our experience is going to be affected? Sure. Well. I'm going to give some props to our customers because, mm. you know, from, from our side of the fence, our customers, they're still squeezing me dry, right? You know, the first sentence is, I'm having a record year. Hey, Mike, you're charging me too much for this. 
What, what chapter? Right. What chapter is that in the Milton Friedman book? <laughs> that, right. Thirteen. Right. Right. Thirteen. Yeah. I'm trying to think. So, look, the good dealers, and there's a lot of good dealers here, yes. and I'd like to think that our dealers are fairly, you know, they're sophisticated. They're they're already going. Okay, what you know, what am I going to do with this treasure trove? I still want to run my business well. I still want to, do, you know, hold my cash to 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 do things with it. So, they're. The ones that are going to make it through it are already, they've already, they already know before, mm -hmm. the, before the entrance how this goes and uh, they're going to be smart for it. So for me, I'm, st I'm, I'm still just trucking along. Um, they do ask me now, what can you do for me more than ever, right? I so, like that though. So the, the engagement is yeah, so much higher, yeah, you know, yeah. especially from the proactive. Ones. Both ways. 100%. Right? It has to be. It has to be. Because even in COVID, you know, how, how you treat the Northeast. It was completely different how you treat the middle states. Exactly. And how you treated the West Coast. So we were making phone calls all throughout. Like, you know, hey, look, your your local situation is totally different. How can I help you compared to, let's say, a dealership in Texas, which may have a different set of, of rules and mindsets. So it's, it's you know, for me, as, as, as the world gets larger, the world gets smaller. 100%, absolutely. Well said. Rusty, for yourself? Yeah, so it's, uh, I, I think you hit, hit the nail on the head a little bit earlier when you started talking about um, how the process is changing, right? Mm -hmm. COVID mm -hmm. forced everybody to stay at home, changed the way people were shopping, um, rapidly accelerated an adoption to a, you know, quote unquote, digital retailing, which is way overused, but to a digital retailing or the ability to shop online for another widget, right? Because all of us buy stuff on Amazon and everything else and it's easy. Yes. Right? And they want to be able to do that for the cars. Um, the, there's a whole population of dealers who are taking advantage of this calm before the storm and this financial war chest that they've got <laughs> to try and figure out how do we address the needs of the next type of consumer, which is coming mm -hmm. when things change. And we don't know what that change is going to look like exactly, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of great data on what it's probably going to look like. So building for what our future consumers are looking for right now is the time to do that. If you do it after the fact and you're playing catch up with the guys who invested in their future early, they're going to clean your clock. And You're so right. 100% yeah. That's exactly what happened. Guys, I know we're getting towards the tail end of our conversation, but I, I got a question as we were, as you guys were all talking, and I was thinking about this, and I'd love to kind of get each one of you guys' unique perspective on this, because I actually heard a few dealers having this conversation in the hallways of the conference, and I, I, I think we need to have more conversations around it, is we're seeing more and more OEMs lean or prepare for direct-to-consumer models. Um, I think, did you guys see the announcement with Mercedes in, I think it was Europe, that they're now going to be directing, the dealers sure. The dealers are only going to be delivery, that's what their response is. A deployment facility. Exactly. Yeah. I love to kind of And courtesy deliveries are great. I've, they, we do an excellent job of that in the States. <laughs> Not. <laughs> Carvana. I room, was waiting maybe. for it. I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, we do a horrible job of that. You but know, but like, how do you think that's going to affect our industry well, if that actually I, goes I, down? I think because I sit on a couple different panels on a couple different OEMs, and I think their desire to want to get there is greater than their ability to. Mm, okay. So that's first and foremost, right? Like they're, they're, they're not even thinking about how to calculate attribution. We're already there as, at the dealer level, right? We, we can do DMS matchback and anonymize data, and we can see click trails and figure out what marketing's working, you have that conversation and that question with them when they're ready to deploy a digital retail tool at the tier one uh, marketplace on their website. And you're like, well, how are you gonna track it? How are you gonna know it actually works, guys? And they're like, huh? 
Let alone how you're going to get the payments right. Yeah, yeah. But they're smart there people. You go. They're, listen, they're Good smart. Talk. They're smart people. Um, but I just don't think they, if they catch it, they're probably not going to want it afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, like because we've been the buffer as a dealer for the OEM for a long time. Great point. So you think that the issues are bad at Carvana, right? When they have these not being able to get a registration for somebody. Can you imagine if, you know, say Ford Motor Company has to deal with all of the customers that they're selling cars to that they can't do registrations for, and we're not the buffer anymore. Hey, you only pay us $150 to deliver this car to Mr. and Mrs. Smith? That's your problem, not my problem anymore, right? That's a very interesting perspective. And and the consumers are pretty fast to jump all over that. So I I think... It's one of those things where if they get what they want, if that's truly what they want to go direct to consumer, they're going to be like, oh, I can't believe we have to deal with all this. I mean, we had we had vehicles that sunk in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. We we're a VW and Audi dealer, and we had cars that did not make it here. Like, could you imagine them having that conversation, not us, yeah. with those individual customers? Because we're the ones that had to handle that. Of course. When there's a Lemon Law issue with a car, we're the ones that have to handle that. You know, and uh, I, I think they don't have enough people in the field to deal with that. I mean, we're talking 15 million, 17 million transactions. Yep. Right? That's a lot. It is a lot. And if they don't have us, then they're going to be standing out there trying to field all these customers' expectations that aren't going to be met. That's a great, great point. Hey, Michael, for yourself, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, that's a whole afternoon. So <laughs> all right. We can, we can talk to simply about, you know, so you take Europe. Right, so mm-hmm. Europe doesn't have, there's a couple things. They don't have the infrastructure that's in the US and they don't have the state franchise laws that are in the US. So that experiment is completely different. Just like most other things that we think that Europe does a better job at that really honestly they don't. <laughs> right, so hold that aside. And then if you take the history of the automotive retail OEM dealership relationship, it's, it always, it seems to go like this. Right, Back this is not forth, the yep. first time they've, that there's been attempts, you know what, maybe I can do more retail work. Well, you know what, I'm not really good at it. Maybe I should just build cars. Well, you know what, the dealers are making pretty good money. Let me go back over here. So I, I think there's a little bit of this that's going on and they're trying to figure out, okay, now what's next? The flip side of it is, I don't know of any industry that has in one vertical as many entrepreneurs as auto retail. Very true. So you, have, you, have, you don't have hundreds of entrepreneurs trying to, trying to create a good experience for you and me buying a car. You have thousands. And do you want to kill that? Do you want to try and, you know, you talk about Amazon, right? And that's used globally. Hey, I want the Amazon experience. Well, that means we're all owned by Amazon. <laughs> exactly. Because they control 100% of every one of their suppliers. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the answer is going to be, you know, if I'm selling the same product as the dealer across the street, what's going to differentiate me? I think that's where we need to focus our efforts. Right. So then we solidify that there's no reason why an OEM would ever go into that place. Right. And I think it's our responsibility to do so. But you had to take like Rusty, not to plug Rusty's product, but you know, there's some things you can do to standardize. Yes. You know, let's get to a single payment, right? Let's, let's say, you know what, there's some things that we can do that, that kind of, you know, the 101 stuff. Let's just figure that out, right? How can we standardize some data points? How can we kind of remove some of the friction? But, but all the good stuff, the sexy stuff, I can use that, that word. Um, of course. <laughs> all that, I, I think that's going to be best for the dealers to figure out how they want to localize and create an experience for their customers. 
I, no, I'm with you. Rusty, your thoughts? I think Mike was absolutely correct when he gave me a nice plug. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> Flattery so, will thanks, get you thanks, yeah, for, thanks for dinner. Stop it some more. Um, <laughs> so so the, where it gets interesting, right, is, um, again, it's a mess, right? So you got the OEMs trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do when we kind of grow up, right? Because they're evolving all the EV stuff, they're looking at spinning them off. Volvo was kind of the first one to come out with Polestar as a separate franchise completely. And then they pick and choose which one of our dealers do we want to get the franchise, right? And what criteria do they use? And we all know that the OEMs are watching to see what the dealers are doing right now. And there's some dealers that are doing some crazy stuff that's not helping the brand, right? So you got to figure out, okay, what's that balance look like down the road, right? We're agnostic. You know, we're kind of sitting back and watching this uh, show slash plane crash slash whatever you want to call it right because because it's a bit we of a just mess. can't turn away but but you still have the problem where the consumer is going to shop the way that they want to shop right and they're driving the process and they're changing the process rapidly they want to shop online but they want to get a consistent message from way up there to when they go to take delivery of the vehicle right? yes we heard, we heard one of the guys um earlier today when we did i was doing this uh fireside chat with brian and you know there was the comment that, hey, <clears throat> we're not going to give you pricing once you come to the store, right? Okay, okay, that makes a ton of sense, right? So I'm going to go on Amazon, and I'm going to buy this. And we can't tell you how much it is. You've got to show up at the retail outlet before we'll sell it to you. That's not how consumers <laughs> want to buy cars. No. So if a dealership wants to get it right, their payments need to be quoted their way every step of the process. And every dealership does it different. Every dealership has their own fees. They have their own interpretations of tax laws, all the rest of the stuff. We have to make sure we're acting. Um, accurately representing that to the consumer way upstream, even in the tier one stuff and the ad tech stuff. Because if the messaging changes along the way, trust is lost and the consumer bounces and you just go to another one. And online, you never know. I mean, you guys know because you're tracking some right. of the stuff, but, but okay, they left. Why'd they leave? Well, because they don't trust you because in their eyes, you lied to them. Yes. And most of the time, it's not even the dealership's fault. Dealer doesn't even know. So it's... Well, it comes to trust. I like the word you use. I like the word trust, right? I think, you know, for any dealers out there uh, that are maybe concerned about this possibility, ask like ask yourself, maybe take some time, look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, you know, do your customers trust you? And if they do, that that's what builds that experience. That's what builds that brand loyalty. And I don't think an OEM can ever come in and replace that if you can get to that. But that needs to be a goal. It's, it's, it's got to be a mission or a vision statement from the top down that this is why we're doing this. Mm -hmm. All right, not just for the money, all right, but we're putting the customer at the center of everything. Guys, this has been just an absolutely amazing conversation. But for everybody out there that's watching and listening right now, I'd love to maybe connect with you guys. What's the best way to do so? Gino, I'll start with you. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, any of that kind of stuff. So G-E-N-O, G-E, I bring good things to life. Walsh, so that shows you how old I am. You thought I was young, didn't you? But Gino, no, we, neither one of us did. <laughs> not right, 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 right. No, not really. <laughs> but anyways, Gino Walsh, you can find me on LinkedIn, or you can hit me at uh, gwalsh at qag.auto, which is my email address. Awesome. Hey, Michael. Yeah, and you can go to dealerbuilt.com or LinkedIn, um, or my you know e uh, email, mike.trasati, T-R-A-S-A-T-T-I, at dealerbuilt.com. Rusty? So mine's a little easier. Um, it's rusty at marketscan.com, um, or you can find me Rusty West on LinkedIn. So Awesome. Hey, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me. This has been an absolute blast. Thanks yeah, for having me. Yeah, this was great. fun. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy with Jason podcast with your host, Jason Harris. 
don't want to miss new content, be sure to check out the full podcast library at strategywithjason.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Happy podcasting.